future on a hell of a past Looks like tomorrow is a coming on fast Ain't complaining about what I've got Seen better times but who has not Silvio, silver and gold Won't buy back the beat of a heart grown cold Silvio, I gotta go Find out something only dead man now Hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 170 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the Beam Suntory FCPA settlement. Welcome, everybody. Hope you're doing uh, well uh, under these uh, difficult times and uh, staying safe, staying healthy, and hopefully getting some time with your family uh, during the uh, upcoming holiday. Um, before we turn to the Beam Suntory FCPA case, again, uh, a word from our sponsor, Blue Umbrella. How are you managing your third-party compliance program? Is your technology vastly assisting you or getting in your way? Blue Umbrella, in concert with some of the largest, most sophisticated compliance programs in the world, has devised a user-friendly, customizable platform that automates tasks and seamlessly integrates with adjacent enterprise systems. Blue Umbrella has employed advanced technology, along with a healthy dose of common sense, to make sure that compliance professionals using status are able to focus on managing issues that arise, monitoring the health of their program, and proactively anticipating risks as a business partner. Curious? Contact us at blueumbrella.com for a quick demo. Well, the Beam Suntory case is actually interesting in terms of its appearance. Uh, the fact is that in July 2018, uh, the SEC settled with uh, Beam Suntory for $8 million. And uh, the fact we didn't get a declination at that time, there was no indication of a declination with regard to DOJ. And uh, this just sort of festered along, and then all of a sudden, uh, this comes out from DOJ against Beam Suntory for $19.5 million for essentially the same conduct bribes paid in India. And the timing of this is unusual and suggests that DOJ's resolution involves some unique issues relating to Beam Suntory's cooperation uh, and... Uh, you know, it's it's just a weird uh, situation because usually these are announced at the same time or there's a resolution that's close in time, and, and usually uh, the SEC and DOJ work this uh, out together and sort of time their actions together. So the SEC resolution was announced uh, in 2018, like I said, which was five years after Beam and Suntory had voluntarily disclosed the matter. Uh DOJ has, you know, never did announce any resolution of its parallel investigation. So the liquor industry in, uh, and this is obviously Beam Suntory, is James, is James Beam. It was uh, bought out by a Japanese company, uh, Suntory, during uh, uh, this uh, period in 2014, uh, and then delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. So the liquor industry, though, in India is heavily regulated. 
and there are numerous opportunities for bribery and kickbacks. And like I said, Beam was traded on the New York Stock Exchange until 2014 when it was acquired by a Japanese company, that's uh, Suntory. And then they were delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. But in this latest DOJ settlement, Beam entered into a three-year deferred prosecution agreement in exchange for paying a $19.5 million fine. The criminal information filed with the DPA charged conspiracy to violate the anti-bribery, internal controls, and books and records provisions of the FCPA. Now, DOJ, unlike the SEC, did not credit Beam for voluntarily voluntarily disclosing this matter, even though the SEC did. The Justice Department cited the fact that prior to Beam's disclosure, DOJ received an email from a Beam employee reporting, quote, illegal cash transactions, close quote, involving a Beam distributor in India. Beam received partial credit for its cooperation with DOJ because it produced documents, made foreign witnesses available for interviews, and made factual presentations to DOJ during the investigation. However, Beam did not receive full credit because it was not cooperative consistently during the investigation and delayed taking full responsibility in resolving the case. Beam engaged in timely remediation by suspending operations in India for a period of time, enhancing its controls, requiring in-person training, hiring a chief compliance officer and a regional compliance officer, and hiring new management in India. Beam did not receive full credit for remediation, however, because it did not discipline any officers or employees who were involved in the the, uh, conduct. DOJ also uh, declined to impose an independent corporate monitor. So based on all of the factors, Beam only received a 10% discount from the bottom of the U.S. sentencing guidelines. Now, this uh, resolution focused on Beam India's subsidiaries' uh, conduct uh, in India, where they paid a bribe of 1 million Indian rupees, approximately $18,000, to a senior Indian government official in exchange for that official's approval of a license to bottle ready-to-drink, that's in quotes, ready-to-drink products that Beam sought to market and sell in India. The payment was authorized by a high-ranking Beam uh, executive at Beam's Asia-Pacific South American Regional Business Unit, who directed that the payment be made through Beam India's third-party bottler in order to disguise uh, the payment. In addition to the single payment scheme uh, described above involving a high-ranking official, DOJ cited the fact that between 2006 and the third quarter of 2012, Beam India paid bribes to various Indian government officials. In 2006, Beam acquired an Indian company that was engaged in bribery of Indian government officials and which continued unabated until 2012. Most of the payments were made by third-party promoters and distributors who paid government officials to secure orders of and prominent placement of Beam products at government-controlled depots and retail stores. Further, Beam India paid bribes to foreign officials to acquire and renew label registrations and licenses and secure authorization to distribute Beam products from a a bottling facility to the India states. 
the payments uh, to government officials were funded through inflated or false invoices submitted by third parties. Senior management directed the distribution of these funds to different markets in India. Certain finance managers maintain off-the-books records of the illegal payments. The illegal payments were falsely recorded in Beam's books and records under a variety of expense categories. Now, the interesting aspect of this case to me, and we're going to go through the facts, is it's yet again another example of a failure of internal and external auditors and legal and compliance professionals who are, let's call them gatekeepers or important people in the uh, you know, second and third lines of defense in terms of uncovering and responding to and digging into uh, potential misconduct. And, uh, you know, when you review, and I look over a case, and I always focus on how and why a compliance failure occurred. In many cases, uh, legal compliance and internal auditors are being shunned, ignored, or subjected to pressure to keep their mouth shut or agree to go forward with otherwise problematic transactions or conduct. And Beam Suntory, we can now add as another example of situations where the chief compliance officers, although they really didn't have chief compliance officers, but they had legal people, they had auditors, they had, uh, you know, inquiries being done and reviews. And it turned out that these really weren't independent nor did they have uh, adequate authority within the organization to pursue these uh, reviews and any of the facts that they found. So let's go, as set out in the statement of facts, Beam failed to respond and otherwise delayed acknowledgement of the legal bribery activity. And in many cases, Beam executives and senior officials sought to downplay, ignore, or delay responding to indications of misconduct. For several years, Beam failed to adopt significant recommended actions and failed to address the underlying concerns these measures were intended to address. As part of its initial audit of the India company that Beam acquired in 2006, Beam identified deficiencies in accounting controls, including lack of supporting documentation for credit notes, promotional expenses, and vendor discounts. And Beam, after acquiring this company, failed to conduct any anti-corruption audit. All of these deficiencies were not addressed until 2012. So let's go back. In 2011, there's a global accounting report, which is the beginning of the end of this. And in 2010, Beam engaged a global accounting firm to conduct a compliance review of Beam India. In January 2011, the accounting firm issued a report that raised several red flags, including that Beam India did not have any anti-corruption policies. Its employees had not received anti-corruption training. Uh, Management did not believe it was liable for the conduct of its third parties and readily acknowledged that it had to employ facilitation payments. Certain vendors presented a significant risk of corruption, and were identified, and the military-run sales channel posed a high-risk area in terms of anti-corruption compliance. The accounting firm recommended that Beam, quote, conduct and document due diligence to confirm activities undertaken, close quote, by third parties, and investigate red flags, discuss legal considerations of third-party actions taken on Beam's behalf, 
and consider the need to further review the military sales channel in India. Beam did not implement any of the global accounting firm's recommendations. In fact, in January 2011, after this report came in, Beam retained a U.S. law firm to review the global accounting firm recommendations. The U.S. law firm ultimately agreed that the issues required follow-up. So in February 2011, Beam retained an Indian law firm to review and expand on the compliance issues identified by the accounting firm. In discussions among Beam's regional management, it was agreed that if the review uncovered improper activities by third parties, Beam's business may be harmed and disrupted. In a contemporaneous email in February 2011, a Beam legal staff member wrote to a Beam uh, India executive, quote, it is critical to approach a compliance review with the understanding that a U.S. regulatory regime should not be imposed on our Indian business, and that acknowledges India customs and ways of doing business, close quote. Now, that is not a good email in it to uncover, and it obviously indicates uh, what the intent here was, which was to try to avoid and bury any type of findings that could indicate FCPA violations. The Indian law firm reported that Beam managers believed that third parties may be making payments for customs officials and government employees in the military sales channel. The Indian law firm confirmed many of the global accounting firm findings. Beam asked the U.S. law firm to review now the India law firm report. And on August 19, 2011, the U.S. law firm issued a memorandum to Beam noting that the Indian law firm failed to conduct a significant review of Beam's financial practices and conduct any type of transaction testing. In addition, the U.S. law firm identified the India law firm's findings relating to deficiencies in oversight of third parties and improper payments made by third parties. Finally, the U.S. law firm made additional recommendations that Beam should review past invoices and debit notes because there was a high likelihood that the results of this type of financial review may uncover evidence of potentially improper payments. After receiving the U.S. law firm report, Beam employees wrote to Beam Finance seeking to close the case, to close the entire review. A Beam employee wrote to the Indian law firm to confirm that the compliance review had come to a close. The Indian law firm recommended conducting additional interviews of Beam employees who interact with third parties. Beam declined to follow that recommendation, recognizing the risk of uncovering third-party misconduct risks for U.S. Beam and, and Beam and for us. Excuse me, risks for us, Beam India. Beam decided to close the review until further allegations of corrupt conduct were raised in September 2012 by a whistleblower, which ultimately led to the investigation and resolutions with the SEC and the Department of Justice, ultimately. But that course, that painful course of conduct, shows that when red flags were uncovered, uh, management and lawyers and everybody didn't put enough pressure and didn't make sure that there was adequate follow-up. And the failure to follow up has to be noted as a significant risk. The failure not to do anything is uh, too risky to go uh, and ignore because of situations like this where you can see a sort of trail of failures to act. 
All right, folks, that's the Beam Suntory case, uh, another one for the books. Uh, Again, hope you're doing well. Stay safe, stay healthy, have a great holiday, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Silvio, Silvio.